Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of the uh, VMware Community Roundtable podcast. Uh, today, we are doing kind of a guest podcast here, uh, thanks to the, the VMware Community Podcast team um, allowing us to be on here. My name is Jonas Rothland. I'm an open source community manager here at VMware, and together with me, I have... Foski Saula. I am a technical marketing manager at VMware. Great. And thank you, Eric, for letting us host on the VMware Communities podcast channel. Yeah, thank you so much. So the, the topic of today is going to be a little different um, than many of the other topics on this podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about an open source project and how VMware is involved in that open source project. And the open source project of today is going to be Kubernetes. And um, uh, Bosky, so can you explain to our listeners here um, what Kubernetes is and why it's important to start off. And then we'll dive into, uh, into it a little deeper. Sure. So, um, you know, I've, I've been a big VMware vSphere admin for like seven years almost. And I was a system admin before that. So um, my experience has been with virtual machines, operations and things like that. And when I first got introduced myself to Kubernetes and what it does and all the magic that it is, you know, I couldn't help but draw parallels. So if you ask me who has been a huge VMware user um, for the past seven years, I would say Kubernetes is to containers what vCenter is to virtual machines. Um, that's a very simple way of putting it, at least for me. <laughs> uh, so. It's an orchestration tool and much more than that, but just to simply put it, it's, it helps you manage uh, containers at scale. Um, and that's what that is. Great. So um, Kubernetes is a fairly new open source project. Yeah. Uh, it's been around for a couple of years. Can you talk a little about the, uh, the, the history of Kubernetes and, and, yeah. and how it got started? Yeah, sure. So I think Kubernetes originally came from a Google internal system called Borg that they were using um, to, you know, maintain their containers. I think this was back in 2004 or 2003. And um, Borg took different shapes and forms within Google. I think it went to be Omega and, you know, things um, like that. But I think um, around 2014, Kubernetes was something that, you know, Google took Borg and open sourced it, calling it Kubernetes. Uh, I think around the same time, um, containers were suddenly becoming really mainstream for enterprises as well. Like people were suddenly talking about this new thing called a container, a Linux container. And um, I think the timing of Kubernetes was really great. Like it just came out around that whole momentum of containers. And since then, I think it has grown to be a huge, huge open source project. I think it's one of the biggest open source projects that's managed today. Uh, and it was, or, you know, uh, it's, it's a project that's hosted on Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh, which is an open source, uh, you know, foundation under the Linux uh, foundation itself. So, uh, but the magnitude of what uh, we have seen with Kubernetes is really huge, like people contributing to it, people talking about it, um, and it's just growing at a, at a pace nobody can imagine. So, um, Kubernetes was announced and released 
first in, in 2014. That's only four years ago. Yep. Um, Docker was uh, announced and released a year before that. And, and we've all seen the, uh, the increase and the, the velocity of container adoption and um, container companies and companies that are working in the container space. Uh, do you think that, um, well, of course, Docker and, and Kubernetes have been big um, advocates for container use because that's what they do. Um, but how, how do you see um, regular companies, not just uh, startups in Silicon Valley, how do you see their adoption going right now? I think if you just look at um, the Kubernetes community itself, you know, initially, of course, it was started with Google, but you know, around 2015, every big company, you know, started joining the community and you know started contributing to it. So, VMware is contributing to it. I think IBM, Microsoft, um, all these different companies started contributing to it, and um, that that kind of tells you, you know, from an adoption perspective and from uh, a usability perspective, where Kubernetes is really growing. Um, it's it's expanding. It has a lot of potential. There's a lot of promise with the project itself, and we are seeing results. Like if you look at the case studies that are posted on some of the um, Kubernetes uh, website, you 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 realize it's not just you know startups. It's financial industry, and you know people are just getting on boarded uh, with this whole you know new new set of technologies around containers. So you, uh, you talked about how you have been um, a VI admin for years. Right. I think a lot of our listeners are, are VI admins as well. So I think it, it would be beneficial if we can um, do some analogies maybe on um, how Kubernetes is different and how it's also very relatable to uh, when you're looking at management of a container, how does that differ from management of a virtual machine, for instance? Sure. Dive into that a bit. Yeah, sure. So I think at the high level, like I said, you know, when I think about Kubernetes, I really think about it as an orchestration tool. Like, you know, today if I have maybe one ESXi host with five virtual machines in it, I don't really need something like a vCenter to manage that one host. But suddenly if I get into a situation where I have multiple hosts with maybe 20, 30, or even more virtual machines in it, I really need a management layer like vCenter, you know, that gives me visibility into what's going on, what are the states of my virtual machines, you know, what's going, you know, I can interact with it, I can load balance using vCenter DRS and things like that. Now, similarly with uh, Kubernetes, if you're running like a, a single Docker host um, and a couple of containers in it, you don't really need some kind of orchestration to manage that, but if you're running multiple Docker containers with multiple Docker hosts, then you really want a, uh, an orchestration engine like vCenter. That's where Kubernetes comes in. Uh, it lets you see how many containers are running. Uh, it lets you balance, you know, container placement across these different hosts. So uh, it kind of does similar things to what DRS does uh, in some sense. But I think orchestration is just a part of what Kubernetes does. Um, and that's where I think the parallels between vCenter and Kubernetes can you know, kind of stop existing. Beyond orchestration, I think that's where the differences start 
you know, coming in between what we have been doing traditionally and what Kubernetes helps you do. So I think the way I identify this is um, there are three buckets of overall things that Kubernetes is doing with containers and orchestration. One is definitely orchestration. The other thing is kind of lifecycle management and, you know, in the sense that when you tell Kubernetes, I want this container to run, you, you know, let it run on whatever host you feel, um, you know, serves the purpose of the resource that container needs. Kubernetes is not just going to go ahead and deploy that container for you, but it is also going to maintain state in the sense that, let's say for some reason the container dies, it actually will bring it back up. Uh, so that's completely different set of things, you know, um, and that's where I think it's a little different. And you can you can tell things to Kubernetes and, you know, not just, you know, from a power on, power off state, but how many images do I need? It's a simple text file you define with a container image and the text file could be a JSON format or a YAML format, but the moment you define it in a text file and give it to Kubernetes, Kubernetes will maintain the state written in that text file for you. So I think that's a different bucket of items that I feel is really differentiating. Um, and a lot of value add over there is because I don't have to worry. Like today, if I uh, create an image in Kubernetes and say it to run, it will run. If it, you know, if it stops, it will restart it. Uh, similarly, if I say, give me five copies of it, it will run five copies of it. You know, if one of them dies, it will respin it up. Now, the third category of things that I feel Kubernetes is different, and this is really fascinating for me, is, is where the way it handles um, containers and the way it publishes containers and applications running, running within those containers. And what do I really mean by that? So, for example, uh, we had a, uh, there was a point where I had to run a web app using virtual machines and um, you know I, it had to front end with of course a load balancer and things like that so I had to create these five or six different virtual machines based on you know expected load and a load balancer and I had to define you know first of all I had to understand the IP address schemes of all those different virtual machines and give it to a load balancer and then you know everything would work from there onwards. But what Kubernetes does is it takes away this construct of defining or routing traffic via IP address schemes, right? Um, it has this notion called labels, right? Uh, which, is, which, which is really um, what, uh, what's the magic over there is um, every container in Kubernetes has a label associated with a label or multiple labels, right? So for me, if I want to expose a specific application in a container, I just let Kubernetes know any application or any traffic that you see coming to this API, route it to a container with this, this label. I don't have to you know, understand what the IP address scheme is and things like that. So it makes it super simple to expose services. Um, you know, and this is all built in again. Um, it's all defined by a simple text file and then Kubernetes does the magic for you. So I think that's, that's, those are the key, you know, differentiating items I feel like, um, and I can get into specifics, like for example, in vCenter, if I have to deploy a workload, I would, you know, have an OVF or an OVA that defines 
what a virtual machine is, you know, so, and if it's multiple virtual machines like a VApp, then maybe I can define a sequence when which virtual machine went power on, which virtual machine was, you know, come up second and things like that. Yep. So that's my definition and it, it's all within the OVF file or the OVA file. And I deployed to in vCenter. And vCenter goes ahead, you know, creates all those corresponding virtual machines. Uh, but let's say if one of the virtual machines goes down or is not in an active state, vCenter doesn't realize that, right? All it sees is it's, it's that virtual machine is powered off but it's up to the operator to figure out what's going on. And first of all, even before they figure out, it's up to the operator to identify that something is not correct, right? Or something is not working. So correspondingly, if I have to do something similar in Kubernetes, I would define a container image file and I'll have a text file associated with that that would you know, have some information about the state of that um, particular container. So I can say, you know, you know, ensure this is always on. Here are the labels I would use to address that container. And Kubernetes will go ahead and, you know, copy the container image, deploy that, use the text file as a reference to ensure state of that particular container. So that would be a simple differentiating factor in how I would do things with vSphere versus within Kubernetes. And I think you, you touch on a really important point here. And when you, when you talk about uh, defining the state of something that you want to run, um, this is also something that's very common when you look at configuration management tools like Puppet and Chef yeah. and Ansible, where you define a state of how you want something to look. You want to have um, a database uh, installed on a virtual machine. You want to have a web service installed connected to the database. Those are states that you can define in those files. With, um, with containers, we now define uh, how many of those web servers we want as well. And make, we want to make sure that at least five of them are always running. Uh, so that's a little different. So we got um, container container management tools on top of virtual machines and now we got uh, containers running on top of virtual machines and, and in different clouds uh, and you um, you also talked about networking and uh, essentially connecting things together very simply uh, mm -hmm. the um, uh, one thing that we've seen is this CNCF landscape that has taken form uh, Kubernetes is part of the CNCF, as you talked about, and the, the CNCF landscape is essentially um, a, a collection of tools and, and applications that you can use to build up a cloud-native environment, a cloud-native environment, both in-house and, and hosted. And this landscape lets you build out whatever you want, essentially. And it has a bunch of really, really amazing tools. Kubernetes is one. Uh, another thing is Prometheus for monitoring and managing scale of mm -hmm. applications. Um, looking at Envoy for service mesh, for instance. Um, and then, of course, how you develop applications as well uh, and how you, you monitor them. Looking yeah. at different tracing applications and gRPC for communication mm -hmm. and NAT for uh, for um, uh, pub sub message oriented uh, middleware and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it can be a little overwhelming, I think. Um, 
So for, for someone that has never gone into this landscape, uh, where would you recommend you start? Uh, how, how, do I, how do I get started with this cloud native uh, environment? Right. So I think there are multiple ways you could think, you know, you could do there. First of all, if you really want to understand um, what Kubernetes or get your hands on with it, there are multiple ways you could do. Uh, you know, if you have a laptop, just get Minikube on it. That's the easiest and simple ways to, you know, getting an interactive Kubernetes going. Um, if you want, there are some open source tools that will let you just, you know, uh, guide you through a sample application. If you go to Kubernetes.io page, um, you know, if you follow some of the samples, you'll you'll figure out like, you know, okay, these are the nuances that, you know, that's, that's what makes Kubernetes what it is today. And then we have some hands-on labs, for example, um, you know, Kubernetes 101 and uh, how Kubernetes can run on vSphere if you already have a vSphere environment and are looking to incorporate Kubernetes on top of that. Uh, we have some hands-on lab. If you go to handsonlab.vmware.com, you should be able to see that. Um, and then, of course, I think there, um, if you go to labs.playwithcookades.com, that's another URL where it has a Kubernetes 101 kind of, um, you know, lecture style um, a classroom created. There's even a video that's done by one of our senior directors of uh, system engineering called Steve Tegler. Uh, he's done like a five minute with Kubernetes, right? Understand Kubernetes in five minutes. I think that's a really cool video. If you just Google uh, or YouTube uh, for Steve Tegler and Kubernetes in five minutes, you should be able to see through that. So I think these are some of the different ways. Um, I personally, yeah, I just took Minikube and I started off over there. Um, or you could go to a public cloud that you know offers maybe um, you know initial free credits to get on board. It you could use that as well. Yeah, I think Minikube is a is a great way to try things out. Uh, one of the things I really like with it is that uh, if you run it on your laptop, you always have it with you. You always have access to it. Uh, yeah. so it's a it's a very simple way to get started. But let's say you now have. Uh, a smaller environment up and running. It might be uh, a few virtual machines in your mm -hmm. vSphere environment, or it might be on your laptop with Minikube. There are a bunch of, of, of different um, things that you need to be aware of within, within Kubernetes. Uh, there are master and worker nodes, there are pods, mm -hmm. replica sets. Yeah. Can you explain those concepts a bit? Because sure. they, are, they are very different compared to um, what you're used to when you're uh, managing a vSphere environment. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So I'll again tie this back to kind of some of the vCenter vSphere references that we have. So essentially, if you look at what you can do with the SXI and vCenters, is if you have multiple SXI nodes, you can load balance your virtual machine across those um, hosts, you know, take, you know, enabling you to utilize resources, compute resources effectively. So similarly, Kubernetes, you know, it has a control plane that lets you run um, containers. And the way Kubernetes calls it is called pods. So pods is something that is very equivalent to a virtual appliance. A pod can be one or multiple containers uh, that Kubernetes will let you deploy. 
And in terms of hosts that those containers or pods land on, so Kubernetes has this construct of a master node, which is essentially the brain of Kubernetes, and it understands state. So, and then you have worker nodes, which are essentially where those pods and containers land on. So all the compute network storage resources are coming from these different worker nodes. Uh, and then the master node understands how much compute in the total compute uh, uh, you have available and a pod once you want to deploy a container will be scheduled you know on one of the worker nodes that kubernetes has access to and worker nodes and master nodes you know combined is called a kubernetes cluster similar to what a vCenter cluster would do like it will give you a you know a definite amount of compute memory and storage um, and Storage, again, um, you know, the way Kubernetes works is, you know, it's very similar to how we manage it in ESXi. If you have a data store, um, you can attach a data store with resource limits to a specific cluster or to a resource pool. Similarly, any storage that you have connected to those worker nodes, you can create storage classes and, you know, containers can consume storage via uh, a volume claim. Through through the worker through the storage that's connected to these different worker nodes, so so those are some of the nuts and bolts. So you have basically you know hosts like master and worker nodes. You have storage allocated to them via storage um, uh, classes, and then you have containers creating um, data stores equivalent of that via uh, storage volumes on top of that. And then there's networking. So it's interesting, like, you know, you have um, these different nodes that, the you know, the containers would land on eventually. And that's called a pod network, very similar to, a, you know, vSwitch's uh, uh, pod group within a vSwitch or a dvSwitch. Uh, you have things called, a, something called as a pod uh, container network that lands uh, or uplinks to one of the physical uh, networks that's connected to that particular node, or worker node or master node. So very similar constructs, you know, containers like virtual machines do need, you know, networking, outbound connectivity, and essentially the, the worker nodes where they land on, you know, are the outbound links for those connectivity to, to those pods and containers. Um, and like I, I think we touched upon this. So um, with vCenter, you have an OVF file that defines what a virtual machine does. Similarly, you have different file types within Kubernetes for different things that you want to do. So it's essentially a text file, a YAML file, uh, but depending upon what you're trying to do. So if you're trying to deploy a container, there's a deployment type YAML. Uh, if you're trying to create a load balancing service, there's a service type YAML. So it, it has different formatting, um, but it's very simple, readable text that anybody could understand to do so. So, so that is, again, going back to this defining state of, of what you want to do, right? So yeah, defining yeah. the state in a, in a YAML file, here's what I, uh, um, how I want this container to be run, Here's mm -hmm. how I want this load balancer to be set up. Yeah. Um, 
So it, it, it sounds pretty simple. It's standard text files and, and then you just deploy them essentially. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and the, the good part, I mean, the best part is once you give Kubernetes the text file, it's like it tries to maintain that, right? So state creation, state maintenance, it's, it's not just for deployment, but eventually throughout the life cycle of that particular container, or the service that you're creating, it stays through and through. That's really, really cool. Um, can you touch a little about, uh, can you touch a little on the replica sets and what that is? Yeah, so I think once you, you know, when you create a container or deploy a container onto a Kubernetes cluster, the Kubernetes masternode looks at the resources that are available through different you know, work nodes, and then it will decide a placement for that container to land on within those work nodes. Now, sometimes um, you know, applications might have a need where they want to make sure that a deployment must have at least five copies running every time you know, a deployment happens. This could be um, because you might have a load balancing need where you expect some traffic and you want five instances of that uh, particular deployment to be always running. So while you're creating a deployment, you can again define by the simple text file. You say, I always want five copies of this deployment running. And that's what a replica set is essentially. So Kubernetes goes ahead and makes sure that you know, every time you, you have a replica set, there are five different replicas actively running for that particular container that you just deployed. Um, so this, I mean, this will be really helpful. I mean, there, there's so much to it, like replica sets is essentially a way to making sure that you have multiple copies. Now, sometimes you might have a way, you, you might have a need where you, you want to run a specific container on every host that is part of the cluster. So you have something called a daemon sets that lets you do that. So um, Kubernetes has these different constructs depending upon what you're really trying to do to help you do that. Um, I mean, the documentation has a fair amount of you know, you know, description on the things you can do with it and how do you define that using a text file. And um, all of this can be done while you're creating that deployment instance itself. So it's not like first you deploy and then you start you know, telling it what, what the state of that deployment should be or how many copies you want. Of course, you can change it later on as well, but even a single file that you're defining at the beginning can help you get these kind of different um, availability uh, you know, zones or availability within the container itself. All right, so now we've talked about Kubernetes and, and what it is and, and how it works a lot. So I want to talk about how uh, VMware is contributing to and using Kubernetes. So uh, let's start off with talking about the open source commitment that VMware is doing within the Kubernetes community. Because we have many employees that are tasked to do uh, Kubernetes work exclusively. We, uh, we have an entire team for that, essentially. Uh, we also have several, uh, we have a specific uh, special interest group uh, called SIG VMware to track the development of Kubernetes and making sure that Kubernetes and VMware is working 
well together. And when I say VMware, I mean VMware vSphere uh, mostly here. And we also have a working group for the cloud provider work that is going in. That's the working group cloud provider vSphere. So this is for the cloud provider interface to, again, to make sure that vSphere and Kubernetes are working uh, together really well here. Yep. Um, we have also uh, set up and helped the, the CNCF essentially set up the, the CICD system uh, for Kubernetes and other CNCF projects on top of vSphere. So if you head over to cncf.ci, you can actually see uh, Kubernetes and several other CNCF projects like Prometheus, Fluency, Envoy, and so on, being built on top of VMware vSphere to make sure that that actually works really well. Um, bunch of tests are going into that, of course. So this is, these are some of the things that we do um, from a company standpoint, but of course we have uh, a lot of individuals that are working really hard within uh, within the community as well. Right now, the release manager for um, Kubernetes 1.12, Tim Pepper, uh, is working really hard to make sure that that release actually gets out and he's a VMware employee too. Me, myself, I'm part of the uh, contributor experience special interest group to make sure that every new and existing contributor feels welcome within the community. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have products that are around um, Kubernetes. So can you talk about those, Bosky? Yeah, sure. So I think the open source community contributions to Kubernetes are really key. Um, and the work that you and everybody else is doing is really important to VMware. And the, the thing is, this is one of those uh, products and areas where VMware is, you know, is again, the way to think about it is Kubernetes um, is another layer of abstraction that sits on top of maybe, you know, computer abstraction like a hypervisor. Um, and because Kubernetes is an open source project, um, we want to make sure that, you know, people and developers especially who are uh, working with Kubernetes APIs get similar experiences when they run a Kubernetes on top of vCenter, which is a cloud, you know, interface for as far as Kubernetes is concerned. Um, we have two different things we are doing. One is enabling, you know, your native uh, vCenter and vSphere platforms to be able to, you know, be the landing uh, platform for Kubernetes. So we have a product that's called Pivotal Container Service or PKS. Um, so it's, it's a very simple, you know, dial to a Kubernetes that you can, um, you know, provide Kubernetes as a service if somebody comes and says, I need a cluster. Uh, you know, and it's it makes it super simple uh, to deploy Kubernetes on top of vCenter. And then we also have a service called VMware Kubernetes Engine, which is more of a, you know, an API, a K8's API that you consume versus build on top of vCenter and vSphere. So, the you know, if you want a product, we have one for the, you know, uh, for that. If you really want to consume a service, there's that as well. There's VKE for that. Um, yeah, I think if you go to cloud.vmware.com, that's like an easy way to figure out uh, the difference and what's going on over there. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a good URL to remember when you want to learn about uh, these new products here from VMware. Yep. So um, 
we talked about PKS shortly. We talked about VKE. We'll hopefully dive deeper into those products in a future uh, episode of the yeah. podcast here. Uh, but those are um, uh, those are some great ways to to get started. Of course, we talked about MiniCube as well, and the the hands-on labs for um, from the hands-on labs from VMworld. So check those out uh, if you're interested in learning about Kubernetes. Yeah. And uh, Bosky, if someone wanted to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they reach you? Okay, so my Twitter handle is my first name. So it's at the rate B-O-S-K-E-Y. Um, that's my Twitter handle. Give me a shout out. Would be really glad to uh, love to hear from uh, folks and hear what they have to say or answer questions or whatever, you know. Uh, again, forward questions if I'm not able to answer, but it will be really nice to reach and see what's going on out there. Awesome. And um, you also do blogs. We, we, we post a bunch of blogs over on the cloud native blogs. Uh, so if you head over to blogs.vmware.com slash cloud native, and you'll find examples of blogs from Bosky and me and a bunch of others from the cloud native apps team. And uh, if you, if you want to reach out to me, I'm at Jonas Rossland on Twitter. And uh, with that, do you have any parting words, Bosky? Well, I think, um, so if you're attending VMworld Europe, which was in Barcelona in November, I think uh, we ran this workshop, which was very interesting. Uh, we ran it in US and Vegas. Uh, and um, if you're attending Europe and want to learn more about Kubernetes, you know, hands-on uh, experience, uh, this workshop would be really awesome to attend. So um, I think the content catalog for VMworld Europe goes live uh, around next week. So if you want to get yourself in the workshop, just make sure you, um, you know, add it to your schedule builder. So that's one of the, it's a good workshop to go to. And then there are some power sessions and, um, you know, so VMTN this time, uh, VMware Code has all these different power sessions, plus um, they have these two hour makerspace workshops. Uh, they're running some Kubernetes related workshops over there as well. So you know, be sure to check those out if you're attending VMworld Europe. Great stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I hope everyone that's um, attending VMworld Europe attend these sessions, go to the workshops. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Bosky, for, for uh, participating in today's podcast. Thank you, yeah, Jonas, uh, for hosting this. <laughs> and uh, thank you, everyone, for, for listening. And I uh, hope to, hope to well, talk to you soon again. All have a right. good one. Thank you. Bye. Bye.